0: Welcome to the Best of the Left podcast with clips today from NPR, Tom Hartman, On the Media, and Rachel Maddow.
1: What was the military doing on 9 11? That question has been asked over and over again. We know now they were unprepared. Journalist Michael Bronner of Vanity Fair magazine obtained audio tapes covering more than six hours inside NORAD's Northeast Control Center in upstate New York. NORAD is responsible for protecting the nation's airspace from attack. The 9-11 Commission listened to those recordings, but most of the material has not been heard until now. Bronner got the tapes from the Pentagon after working on the film United 93. He says they paint a minute-by-minute picture of what unfolded that day.
2: Well, it's interesting. You can hear on the tapes just a couple people chatting on the operations floor, and then in the background you can hear a call come in from Civilian Control Center in Boston where they say that they have a real-world hijack, not an exercise, not a test. It's an actual hijack headed their way.
3: What? Whoa. What was that? Not real world. Real world hijack. Cool.
2: So they call in everyone into the operations floor. You can hear that. They get some pilots in the planes at Otis Air Force Base, and they start looking for the hijacked plane.
1: And do they find it?
2: No. What happened is by the time they get the call, the hijackers had turned the the electronic beacon off in the plane. The people in the um, civilian center were able to track it using radar, so they were continuing to see it. But the military had a very hard time finding it on their scopes because the military is seeing, you know, a thousand green dots. And they're trying to get information from the civilian FAA as to which one of those dots is the hijacked plane. That's the problem that plagued them all day. You don't know where he is at all? He's being hijacked, the pilot's having a hard time talking to the,
4: I mean, we don't know. We don't know where he's going. He's heading towards Kennedy, he's uh, 35 miles north of Kennedy now at 367 knots. Okay. No idea where he's going If you could
1: please give about. us a call and let us know, uh, you know any information, that would be great. Okay. We and then, as we hear on the tapes, Neither agency, NORAD nor FEA, realize that the World Trade Center has been hit. They learn about it from watching CNN.
2: Well, there's a lot of confusion. I I think that they didn't ever anticipate that a a hijacked plane, at least at, at the ground level, the controllers who were actually working these planes, didn't put two and two together. They knew that they had a hijack, but they never expected, A, the hijackers to fly the plane, or B, anyone to fly directly into a building. So... They get news that something's hit the World Trade Center. They don't know what. They also think that they're still dealing with a hijack. Then the pictures on CNN where they saw the massive hole in the side of the building was the first clue to anyone that tracking these planes that, wow, maybe this is this is our hijacked plane. They got a lot of information from CNN that day.
1: Yes, ma'am, did you just hear the information regarding the World Trade Center? No. Being hit by an aircraft?
2: I'm
1: oh, sorry? Being hit by an aircraft. It's on a World News. So then the key, as you say in your story, is that the NORAD techs never get information that the plane that they were initially following, this was American Airlines Flight 11, was actually the one that crashed into the World Trade Center. And, and they still think that that plane is aloft somewhere.
4: Okay, uh, American Airlines is still airborne. 11, the first guy, he's heading towards Washington.
1: Okay. Why is it that they don't know what happened to American Airlines Flight 11?
2: Well, there was a lot of information and misinformation in particular sizzling through the the FAA and the military at that point. Initially, they did believe it was American 11 that hit the tower, but in one of the FAA big teleconference calls, Someone's trying to confirm with American Airlines as to whether it was, in fact, American 11. And the story was told to me that American wouldn't confirm it at that point. The con- civilian controllers conclude that it's still flying, and they call the military and say it was someone else that hit the tower. American Eleven's still up. It's headed towards Washington. You better get someone after it.
1: So here they are chasing a phantom jet.
2: They are. When the military gets the call that American 11 is actually still flying and is not the one that crashed in the, into the World Trade Center and is in fact headed towards Washington, that actually prompts them to launch their second two fighters. And that was completely omitted when they testified to the nine eleven Commission the first time.
1: And we'll get to, to that in a moment. But first of all, let's paint the scene here. We have four fighter jets. That's it?
2: NORAD's primary mission was to protect the country against Russian bombers flying down and and dropping atom bombs on North America. When that threat disappeared, they reduced drastically the amount of, of armed fighters that were standing by on alert. So this unit in upstate New York that was trying to protect against this terrorist attack had four armed fighters in the whole Northeast.
1: Okay. So by now, the World Trade Center has been hit twice. They are chasing a phantom plane. They think they're chasing American Airlines 11, but that's one of the planes that's already hit the World Trade Center. And then they're surprised, this is at 9.34 in the morning, that another plane has been hijacked. And let's hear that.
4: Also lost American 77.
1: Okay, 77. American, where was he proposed to head, sir? Excuse me. Where was he proposed
0: to head, sir?
4: Okay, he was going to L.A. Also. He
0: was also going to L.A. Now, somewhere, sir.
4: Uh, I think he was from Boston, also. now
1: That is the Washington Center of the of the FAA telling NORAD about American. 77. it's not a lot to go on, is it? Not a lot to go on. And in fact, erroneous information, right? He says he's coming from Boston when in fact it it took off from
2: Dulles. But this is indicative of what started happening all day. You've got the military entirely dependent on the FAA to tell them which planes are hijacked and then to tell them where they are. This wasn't even a call from the FAA to the military. This was a call out where one of the military techs was calling the civilian places, trying to find any information she could about This American 11, which they thought was still hijacked and still headed towards Washington. And then this guy springs on her that, oh, by the way, Indianapolis Civilian Air Traffic Control lost this plane, you know, more than a half an hour ago.
1: Meanwhile, here's number four. Here's a fourth hijacking. Let's hear that.
4: Uh, We got a United 93 out here. Are you aware of that? United 93. We've
2: got three more hijacked airborne. That has a bomb on board. A bomb on board.
1: That was United Flight 93. That was recorded at 10.07, a full four minutes after the plane crashed in Pennsylvania. It's clear that the techs at NORAD and at FAA have no idea that this plane has crashed. This is where the Pentagon's account differs substantially from what the 9-11 Commission found. And tell us about that.
2: Well, actually, the the account differs, beginning with the call that American 11 hasn't crashed and is still headed towards Washington they scrambled after a phantom plane and they completely omitted that the first time they testified before the 911 commission they told the commission that they scrambled after american 77 which would ultimately hit the pentagon but they gave the wrong time and they didn't actually scramble after 77 they scrambled after the phantom plane they also told the commission that they had been tracking united 93 since 916 in the morning well the plane hadn't been hijacked yet at 916 in the morning and I think that the FAA was watching that plane for quite a while and no one told the military. The the lag time, if you look at all of these planes, the lag time just gets longer and longer as the confusion grows inside the FAA centers and in the military.
1: What changes have been made at NORAD and at FAA since all this has been revealed to the 9-11 Commission?
2: Well, if you walk into the operations floor at the Northeast Air Defense Sector, the NORAD unit in upstate New York, All of their equipment has been completely modified. On the day of 9-11, they were using technology that was designed at the end of the 1970s. In the year 2001, they were using basically 1970s technology. Now they have all state-of-the-art technology, much more similar to the stuff that they have at the FAA centers, which has always been upgraded. The channels of communication supposedly are much clearer, who knows if something like this happens again? But they definitely have much more modern equipment, and they're definitely much more alert to the possibility. And you know, they train for this a lot more specifically.
1: Michael Bronner's article "9/11 Live: The NORAD Tapes" is in the current issue of Vanity Fair. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
5: This is also from the Washington Post today. Dan Eggins not column, I mean, this is a news story, page 3 of the Washington Post. The headline, 9-11 panel suspect deception by Pentagon. Some staff members and commissioners of the 9-11 panel, the September 11 panel, concluded that the Pentagon's initial story of how it reacted to the to the 2001 terrorist attacks may have been part of a deliberate effort to mislead the commission and the public rather than a reflection of the fog of events on that day, according to sources involved in the debate. Suspicion of wrongdoing ran so deep that the 10-member commission, in a secret meeting at the end of its tenure in September of 2004, debated referring the matter to the Justice Department for criminal investigation. In the end, the panel agreed to a compromise, turning over the allegations to the inspectors general for the Defense and Transportation Departments, who can make criminal referrals if they believe they're right. So they they said to the Bush administration, here, you guys can inspect yourselves. Thomas Keene, the former Republican governor of New Jersey who led the commission, he said, we to this day don't know why NORAD, the North American Aerospace Command, told us what they told us. It was just so far from the truth, it's one of those loose ends that never got tied. What?! We, to this day, don't know why NORAD lied to the 9-11 Commission? And this from the Republican chairman of the Commission, Thomas Keene? Um, you know, I'm telling anyone who just, you know, reads the 9-11 report and says, Oh, yep, that's it. I'm convinced. I was going to make some kind of, you know, wisecrack, like, you know, I want to smoke whatever they're smoking, but I don't think I want to. It's, uh, it's time for us to start paying attention to this stuff and paying attention carefully. They went on to say, although the commission's landmark report made it clear that the Defense Department's early versions of events on the day of the attacks were inaccurate. Inaccurate? The revelation that it considered criminal referrals reveals how skeptically those reports were viewed by the panel and provides a glimpse, glimpse into the tension between it and the Bush administration. I mean, here we have the Washington Post reporting today that Thomas Keene, the Republican, hand handpicked hand by George W. Bush, the Republican former governor of New Jersey, handpicked to head up the 9-11 Commission. Now we're discovering, two years later, that Thomas Keene is saying, and he's now coming out and saying it on the record to Dan Egan the at the Washington Post, that NORAD lied to them about what happened on 9-11, and we still don't know what happened. Now, this, uh, you know, I'm not putting forward any kind of conspiracy theory here. I'm just saying, hey, why don't we know, like, the basics? As Dan Egan in the the, Washington Post writes, he says, for for more than two years after the attacks, officials of NORAD and the FAA provided inaccurate information. This isn't like failed to provide information. Provided inaccurate information about the response to the hijackings in testimony and media appearances. In fact, the commission reported a year later, audio tapes from NORAD's Northeast Headquarters and other evidence show clearly that the military never had any of the hijacked airliners in its sights. These and other discrepancies did not become clear until the commission, forced to use subpoenas, obtained the audio tapes, the officials said. Former Navy Secretary John Lehman, Republican commission member, said he believed the panel had been lied to. He says, my view of that was that whether it was willful or just the fog of stupid bureaucracy, I don't know. But in the order of the magnitude of things going after bureaucrats because they misled the commission didn't make sense to me. Yeah. But this, uh, now Thomas Keene coming out saying, no, this goes much beyond that. Much beyond
3: that. I'm so
6: tired of being here Suppressed by Is your presence still
7: This week, a vast terrorist plot was foiled in London, but many questions remain about how and who and why. The age of terrorism is rife with questions, and even when there are answers, they don't necessarily persuade. A poll released this month by the Scripps Survey Research Center found that 36% of Americans believe that the U.S. government either sat back or assisted in the attacks on 9-11 because it wanted a pretext for war. Here's MSNBC's Tucker Carlson Wednesday taking umbrage with a conspiracy theorist.
5: I get that, and I'm not in any way questioning your right to complain about the actions of our government. I'm merely saying it is wrong, blasphemous, and sinful for you to suggest, imply, or help other people come to the conclusion that the U.S. government killed 3,000 of its own citizens because it didn't.
7: The notion of government complicity has gained steam in part due to a recently formed group of academics called Scholars for 9-11 truth. The Associated Press notes that most aren't experts in the relevant fields, though they are well-educated. Meanwhile, a feature-length video called Loose Change has become an online phenomenon by arguing that the Twin Towers were felled by the government in a controlled explosion. Mark Fenster is author of Conspiracy Theories, Secrecy and Power in American Culture. He's not surprised that there is a vast number of conspiracy theorists out there. But he's surprised about one thing.
3: What's surprising, I think, about these numbers is just how late they've arrived. The tendency for Americans, particularly in times of war and times when things aren't going particularly well, to believe in conspiracy theory is higher than the kinds of numbers that we were seeing immediately after 2001 and through 2003, 2004. Uh, And it wasn't until later than that that the numbers began to really kick in.
7: What accounts for that?
3: Folks are reading backwards from events that have occurred since September 11th, like Iraq, like Hurricane Katrina, that might indicate on the one hand that the Bush administration is acting in a putatively evil way, and on the other hand that they're acting in a somewhat incompetent way.
7: There was also, though, the 9-11 Commission report, which was a bona fide bestseller, and it offered a pretty convincing narrative. Do you think that initially kept the skeptics down?
3: Uh, I think it did, and I think one of the things that the commissioners saw as their role was to not be another Warren Commission, to attempt to write a book that would be popularly available and accessible, uh, that would have a first chapter that would draw readers in, almost like a novel—
7: the Warren Commission examined the assassination of JFK and put out an essentially unreadable compendium of documents. You talk about the growth of the conspiracy theorists arising from a backward look of increasing skepticism over the Bush administration and the way they behaved during Katrina and the prosecution of the war and so on. But aren't there certain things that are peculiar? to this theory. For instance, the phenomenon of the movie Loose Change, which may be the most watched online video ever, as many as 10 million viewers, according to Google Video.
3: The use of visuals and the use of sound in that film is, uh, I don't want to go so far as to say propagandistic, but it's certainly an extremely persuasive text uh, to those who are willing to watch it with the thought that it might actually be correct.
7: Well, what about you? Have you looked at this material carefully and without prejudice? And have you had your doubts? Uh,
3: I'd have to say that the experience of watching this change is the experience that I have had reading any or watching any text uh, that alleges a conspiracy. I am someone who enjoys the experience of having the ground move under me as I watch a text like this.
7: It sounds like you consume these theories for entertainment.
3: Well, I think that people do. I mean, I uh, I don't want to make light of the idea of conspiracy theory, but lots of things that people find enjoyable allege some kind of conspiracy as the agent that's driving the narrative and that's putting the hero in peril. It is something that drives lots of feature films, uh, lots of popular novels, and I cop to the fact that I enjoy that stuff.
7: Well, then how do you think the press should go about covering this and other conspiracy movements? I mean, covering the 9-11 conspiracists used to consist almost entirely of profiles of seeming wackos, and then that's been replaced of profiles of people who are livid at the government but who are otherwise not insane. And you've seen increasingly, I mean, this week there was a piece in the AP that took them seriously as people holding this alternative view. How do you think the media should go about putting their arms around this thorny subject?
3: Well, first and foremost, it's a news event that needs coverage, interviewing not just a leader or a proponent, uh, but also someone who has been persuaded. They're providing an important public service because they're covering actual social and political events uh, in that respect. Part of the role of journalism, I think, is to provide sources of information that will counter the allegations made by conspiracy theorists. Uh, Because if you go online and you Google 9-11 conspiracy, you get thousands of hits uh, at the top of your Google list uh, that allege a conspiracy. It's a lot more difficult to find Information that uh, attempts to counter it or respond to it. So I think that's one of the key things that journalists can do.
7: All right, Mark, thank you very much.
3: Thanks for having me.
7: Mark Fenster is a law professor at the University of Florida and author of the book, Conspiracy Theories, Secrecy and Power in American Culture.
2: Here is the money that I owe.
7: Tell you, money is the
6: root of all the kills. They have never been poor. They have never had the joy
3: of a real Christmas.
6: Thomas Kane and Lee Hamilton were co-chairs of the 9-11 Commission. The Kish Commission put together to, quote, examine and report upon the facts and causes relating to the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001, occurring at the World Trade Center in New York, New York, in Somerset County, Pennsylvania, and at the Pentagon in Virginia, end quote. Uh, That report, the 9-11 Commission, became a New York Times bestseller when it was released in 2004. Uh, But what were the wranglings like behind the scenes? How difficult was it to get the information that was needed? Uh, Thomas Kane and Lee Hamilton have now co-authored a book called Without Precedent, the inside story of the 9-11 Commission, which releases this month. The co-chair of the 9-11 Commission, former governor of New Jersey, Thomas Kane, joins us on the phone this morning. Governor, thanks very much for joining us.
4: Thank you for having me. Good morning.
6: Good morning. One of the things that I have um, long not understood uh, about the 9-11 Commission and its work, even as somebody who makes a living criticizing the Bush administration here as an Air America radio host, I've never really understood why the administration resisted the formation of the 9-11 Commission in the first place. And they ultimately relented. But do you have any sense of why they did resist it initially?
4: Uh, I don't have any inside information. I I, would I always suspected that, you know, they were going into a presidential year. Uh, The issues around 9-11 and American security were definitely going to be huge issues in that election. Uh, They controlled Congress, and uh, any investigation there would be in the hands of Republicans. I think the idea of having an independent commission, uh, bipartisan, with five Republicans and five Democrats, uh, coming out with a report in the middle of the election season was something that uh, was a wild card, and I, I just don't, I, I think they would rather not have had it.
6: I can see, I can see that. The idea that they didn't have any reason to suspect that you were going to go after them unfairly, but they'd rather, uh, have a more predictable outcome that they could maybe expect from Congress. That's, this is my suspicion. Yeah, that would make sense to me. Um, it, 9-11 has obviously been used politically to great effect. It's still the major issue in American politics, I would say, uh, and its connection, of course, to foreign policy and the Iraq war. But its practical impact in terms of literally preventing something like this from happening again by by shoring up our defenses as a country, that's been such a different discussion. That hasn't been a central political discussion. Uh, and i'm I'm wondering if you see progress toward that what whether you feel hopeful about practical security measures being taken as a result of your work, whether you feel hopeful about that
4: well, I'm hopeful because some of them have been taken i mean we you know, no question we are safer uh than we were on that day, but as we said originally in a report a year ago uh we still haven't done a lot that we should have we're still not safe, and some of those things are easy to do, some of them are costly and more difficult but if, as the president said, that, you know, the top job of government is the security of the American people, then they have to get done. And, uh, you know, I worry, looking at our 41 recommendations, that they're either not proceeding at all, in some cases, or are proceeding much too slowly.
6: When the president said recently that we are definitely safer uh, than we were before 9-11, you just said that you feel that we're safer. I feel like I'm really glad that there are locks on cockpit doors. And I'm really glad that American passengers know about the threat uh, of hijacking right now. That's what foiled uh, probably what happened. That's what foiled what happened on, on Flight 93. That's what foiled the, the Robert, Richard Reed uh, shoe bomb plot. It was passengers acting because they knew about the threat. Other than those two changes, there's not much that has happened. And That makes me feel that we are a lot safer, and I feel like the world's a whole lot more dangerous because of what we've done in foreign policy terms since 9/11. Well, there's
4: no question the world is more dangerous. Uh, we, we've got an arc of violence now spreading all the way from uh, what we've seen with Hezbollah and Israel all the way all the way to India and Pakistan. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but the uh, but there are there are steps we've taken. Our intelligence agencies are more communicative with each other than they used to be. Not 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 the same, not as much as they should be, but the lack of talk between the CIA and the FBI and the defense agencies uh, certainly was one of the problems in 9-11. Nobody connected to DOTS. They all had pieces of information they didn't share with each other. If they had, maybe we would have uh, been, been able to stop at least some of the hijackers. Uh, that's better under the new arrangement. Um, Negroponte, I think, is trying to force that communication. It's not there yet. Still got work to do, but it's, uh, yeah, it's better than it was uh there is uh slowly things are being installed in airports much too slowly for my satisfaction but as i went into newark airport the other day the first time i saw what they call a puffer machine i don't know if you've been through one of those
6: yeah i have once
4: yeah well that's it. that's it they're not stored in that many airports but they do detect traces of any explosives and uh you know they should be at every airport and everybody's recommended that it's just very very slow happening we've got the technology to screen baggage better. It's installed in a few airports, but not many. And uh, again, that's very, very slow.
6: That's the thing that I find most frustrating when it is clear, either from the recommendations of your commission or from common sense uh, or from practical experience, like what we saw with the British police bust uh, of that, that plot last week, when it's clear what to do and the technology exists to do it and we can't seem to get it together to do it with all the money that has been spent um, in the name of 9-11, since 9-11, that we can't do stuff, that, that we can't get those puffer machines everywhere, that we can't screen cargo everywhere. I mean, right now in Japan, they at least at one airport in Japan, they are screening for liquid explosives. We don't. In, in Hong Kong, they are screening every container for radiation and we don't. The, the technology and the money answer isn't, isn't a good enough answer for me. It has to be a leadership and an issue of will, and I I don't know I don't know how to get there. I don't I don't see how to how to shame them any further into actually making this a priority. Do you?
4: Well, it, it's frustrating because you remember and with the whole issue of liquid explosives, uh, Al Qaeda did it in 1994 or tried to do it. Yes. Uh, Ramzi Youssef, who was you know the guy who bombed the full Trade Center the first time, got together with his Uncle Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who was the guy who planned 9/11, and in the Philippines and they had some explosive devices They were going to put on 12 planes going from the west coast to uh, the east and and, and blow them all up in the air. And uh, that was with liquid explosives. Uh, So we knew al-Qaeda did that already. Uh, People were aware of it. There were evidently tests going on as to how to detect liquid explosives. But uh, I heard the uh, head of Homeland Security the other day say that We were now getting ready for some pilot programs. Well, (laughs) it's five years from 9-11. Yeah,
6: and 12 years after that original plot. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt.
4: It's just frustrating.
6: It is very frustrating, and especially because any you know anybody with a sixth grader's knowledge about Al Qaeda tactics knows that they try something, and if it doesn't work, they perfect the technique and do it again.
4: This yeah, is, that's exactly right.
6: This is one of the only things we know about them. So let's find out the their other failed plots and just take the steps necessary to make them not do it, and get it right
5: the second
4: I'm time. for that's that's no that's that's exactly right. I can't argue with that. And 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 the thing that you know if there's one if there's one nightmare I have uh... having to do with our recommendations it's it's of a terrorist getting hold of a nuclear device now we know that's what al-qaeda wants to do. I mean, bin Laden has said it. He said he believes he, he's been trying for 15 years to get hold of nu- nuclear materials uh... what uh... what we also know is that there are only hundreds about hundred sites in the world that now enrich uranium uh... so it seems to me common sense We've got to secure those sites because once you get enriched uranium, you can read on the internet how to build a bomb. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, we don't claim our borders are very secure, so getting one in the country isn't so difficult. And uh, so we got to protect these sites. We're doing it, but ever so slowly. They've estimated we can have these hundred sites under control in what they estimate is about fourteen years.
6: <laughs> You're kidding? No,
4: no. Nobody says we have. You no, know, uh, they could do it if they really. To me, it seems if everybody concentrated on it, they could do it in two or three years but uh but it, you know it's not what it's not what the president's talking about it 's not what the leaders of Congress are talking about it's not the top of everybody's priority list if it 's the greatest danger, and I feel it is, then it should be on top of everybody's priority list right.
6: Especially, I mean, in in moral terms, yeah. Especially if you're going to use the threat of the you know the the smoking gun being a mushroom cloud, if you're going to use the threat of nuclear terrorism to get the country to get behind you on other stuff, then you have a moral responsibility to actually do something about the threat of nuclear terrorism when you have the chance to.
4: Yeah, in, in many of these areas, you know, it's not it's not the doing nothing. It's, it's, it's very much like what we what we saw in, in our work before 9/11. It wasn't that there weren't good people in the Clinton administration and good people in the Bush administration who were sort of who recognized that al-Qaeda was a problem uh, and were working on it. But it was down the priority list. Yeah. And, and I'm afraid the same thing is happening now. It's not that there aren't good people working on these things. Uh, we're starting to secure these sites very, very slowly. But uh, it's not on top of the priority list. We're being distracted by Iraq and Afghanistan and Domestic problems and elections and heaven knows what else.
6: After the um, British terror plot bust was announced last week, the day after that, 12, uh, 12 elected officials who are all Democrats came out and said in a unified statement, the United States government needs to implement every recommendation of the 9-11 Commission. Do you uh, obviously that was that was a that was a partisan statement but it was also a national security statement do you welcome the democratic party making that a campaign promise and a campaign issue in these midterm elections and presumably in the 08 elections as well
4: Oh absolutely uh, you know but one of the real frustrations i think that Lee Hamilton and i have is that it's hard to find members in congress in either party who won't say they're for our recommendations Yeah they just don't do them. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's the that's frustration. If, if You know, if we could find opposition out there and fight that opposition, that would be one thing. But there is, oh, yeah, we're all for that. Uh, but then it doesn't happen.
6: Well, the Democrats promising to do it at least gives us something to hold them to if they in, indeed take back Congress oh,
4: absolutely. Uh, in, in November. Uh, absolutely. No, no, no. We, we would love to see that in election issue in every single congressional district.
6: Tom Kane, thank you very much for joining us, and thank you for your, your dedication on this issue. I really appreciate the chance to talk to you.
4: Thank you. Nice to talk to you.
6: Thank you. Locked up in your head You've been pouring it a concrete bed Your habits are survive. You don't realize you're fried You're so fried To find someone you love You gotta be someone you love To find someone you love You gotta be
7: someone you love Today, New York City released recordings of more than 1,600 emergency calls made on September 11, 2001. Most of them were communications between firefighters and fire department dispatchers. In March, recordings of 130 emergency calls were released. Those were made by ordinary citizens trapped in the World Trade Center. The release of all the recordings is the result of a lawsuit by a group of 9-11 families. Along with the New York Times, they requested the tapes under New York State's freedom of information law. NPR's Margot Adler reports.
8: The 1,613 calls released today are mostly between firefighters, fire department dispatchers, and EMS dispatchers. Since they involve government employees, both sides of the conversations are given, unlike previous tapes in which the voices of civilians were removed. You hear firefighters as they tried to get up the stairwells of the Twin Towers.
7: We're trying to get up. You know, there's numerous civilians in all stairwells. Numerous burn injuries are coming down. I'm trying to send them down first. Apparently, it's above the 75th floor. I don't know if they got that yet, okay?
2: Okay. It's <laughs> free truck, and we're still heading up, all right? Okay. You you can hear
8: a call to the hotline after the first tower collapsed. One okay. of the towers just collapsed. I can't tell what the extent of the
3: damage is, but okay. there is a complete whiteout okay. right from the dust from the tower. Okay. We have the potential, and I stress potential,
8: for having lost most of. Resources at the, scene. Okay. the recordings include the voices of at least 19 firefighters and two emergency medical technicians who were killed when the twin towers collapsed. Chief Dennis Devlin of Battalion 9, who died that day at Ground Zero, is heard asking for more radios and for the names of the companies sent to Tower Two.
2: Yeah, how are you doing? This is the command post in Tower Two of the World Trade Center. Okay, this is Chief Devlin. I got to get a rundown of the companies. We're in a state of confusion. All right.
0: Okay, that's Engine Two One One, Ladder Eleven.
2: It may
8: not sound important, but at a news conference this afternoon where members of the 9-11 families who brought the lawsuit spoke, Sally Reganard, who lost her son, a probationary firefighter, said that the list of companies was hugely important. For the first time, we learned that my son's engine company was one of those engine companies reporting on West Street to Tower 2. That is more information than I have been given by the city of New York in five years. Also released today were ten calls by civilians inside the towers. Three calls had been used as evidence in the trial of Zacharias Moussaoui and withheld at the request of the attorney general until the end of the trial. One that was played at the trial is one of the most heart-rending calls of that day. It is from Melissa Doy, who was on the 83rd floor.
6: There's no one here yet, and the floor is completely
7: engulfed. We're on the floor, and we can't breathe. Yeah. And it's very, very, very hot. I'm going to die. Right, ma'am, 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 say your prayers. i are going to We're going gonna gonna, to think positive, because you got to help each other get off the floor. Stay calm, stay Please calm. Right, you're doing a good job, ma'am. You're doing so a good job. You're it's so calm. hot. I'm burning up.
8: The 9-11 families who have pressed for these recordings say they want more information and will go back to court, that they are learning what went right, what went wrong, and how the city can be more effective in an emergency. Retired firefighter Al Fuente said at the news conference that one lesson learned was that the dispatchers should be trained and treated as first responders, for in fact, they were and they are. Margot Adler, NPR News, New York.
0: Thanks for listening everybody so i uh i didn't have this planned or anything but just as I, as I was putting this show together uh i've uh just within the past couple of weeks or so i've, I've taken to going back over um my old uh, west wing dvds i am a little bit behind the curve i just finished for the first time uh the fourth season so um I was very glad to see that President Bartlett was re-elected, that was encouraging, Um, so on and so forth. So I'm a little behind the curve, but I finished the fourth season, and I now have the fifth season on its way, you know, by way of Netflix, but I was getting impatient because you gotta wait a couple of days. Um, So just tonight, as I was putting the show together, I I went back uh, to the third season, and just, I kind of sit around and was watching the shows while my computer was editing and stuff like that when I didn't need to be involved with the process. So I was watching the show, and the first episode on the third season, I believe that this was the first season to come out right after 9-11, and so they had a special episode at the beginning of that season, and... Um, I, I didn't even think about it until I just sat down right now, uh, kind of how perfect that was, you know, another, um, episode of the best of the left about nine eleven and aftermath and all that. And it, it just kind of was, uh, very serendipitous that the episode of the West Wing that I was watching was about that very topic. And, um, so if you haven't seen it, I would recommend, you know, it's, it's a uh, disc one, of season three, if you, uh, if you rent from Netflix or however you like to do that sort of thing, um, it, it's, it's worth picking up. And, uh, it, the, I guess what they do is, you know, they, they take a whole episode and it's not part of the series. So, you know, if you never watched the series to begin with, um, it's totally separate and they basically just kind of talk about, you know, why Brown skin people attacking us, that sort of thing. And um, I'll just say this one thing about it, because I know a lot of you haven't seen it and and still won't, even after I recommend it. the The one point that really sticks in my head is this analogy that they use. And uh, if if you know me, then you know that I like analogies. I've I've kind of made this discovery uh, over over the past few years I I speak in analogies all the time just because uh, I think it's fun but anyways this is one of these like SAT style analogies you know this is to that as that is to X you know what I'm saying so but the the analogy that they put up and this is the the kind of the key of the of the show to me and they, they put up on the board um, Islamic fundamentalism. No, no, no. I'm, I'm screwing it up already. Islamic extremism is to Islam as blank is to Christianity. And so they're having this conversation with a bunch of kids at the White House, you know, students who have come. And so the kids start throwing out answers like, uh, you know, Christian fundamentalists. No, that's wrong. Jehovah's Witnesses. No, that's wrong. You're you're way off off track. And and the answer that they put up on the board is Islamic extremism is to Islam as the KKK is to Christianity. And it really makes that point really well that you know, for all all those people who go out saying you know, I I think I've even had clips on the show fairly recently from I believe it was the Young Turks talking about Michelle Malkin and how she says, you know, we need to start racially profiling because I have a list of all of these terrorist incidents and they're all from young Muslim men. And, you know, she goes on and on about it. And it's just, it's it's a really good point to make that by using that analogy, because everybody here, knows what the KKK is, how, you know, obscure they are, and they call themselves Christians, and that's kind of the whole point of their, of their, of their thing is that they're, they think that their mission is based on the Bible. But, you know, 99% of Christians would disown them. And so by using that, I think that's a really good way of of explaining who the enemy is as far as the people who actually want to attack us. Which is separate, of course, from like the civil war in Iraq that's going on with a bunch of people who don't give a shit about us and just hate each other. So that's that's different. Believe me, I'm not confused about that. And you shouldn't be either. But anyways. I don't know. So I just want to say that if you're interested, you can go check it out. I already explained how you can get it, that sort of thing, and but that, that was kind of the key point. Um, see, the, the sad thing is that I know the people I'm talking to right now, you know, 90% of you are, are smarter than me anyways, at least, and uh, and I explained all of that in far more detail than you actually needed, but anyways, there you have it. And, in fact, just to make it easy for you, I'll, I'll put a link on, on the on the website in the show notes of, of this show. Not on the homepage, but in the show notes. I'll, I'll just link it to, to Netflix so that you can uh, find it if you're interested. And um, so, while you're there, it's it's bestofleftpodcast.com. You can go there to find the link to uh, email me directly, or you can just type in sympathizer at gmail.com. That'll... Send the message right to me, or um, anything else you like to do while you're there. There's a support the show page with lots of different uh, fun and exciting ways to uh, to help support the show. They're not uh, financial. I mean, one of them is just just donating. I mean, that's financial. But everything else is, you know, just different kind of fun ways that you can get involved. Uh, well, I mean, some are fun, some are neutral. And then, of course, if you're interested, there is uh, the link to the playlist. Best of the Left playlist is available as an iTunes iMix, or uh, listed in the show notes of all the shows is is all the the, the songs used in each of the shows. So, that's going to do it for me for tonight, and I will talk to you all tomorrow. Have a good one, everybody.
3: Now black and
7: white Who took apart a picture that wasn't right
2: Bitch burning on a shining sheet
5: your interest.
6: Their truth
8: is not your truth. The corporations have their meaning.
6: Now we have ours.
8: The Progressive Podcast Network. Podcast. Welcome to wake up, wake, up
0: wake up
8: AM. Now we are the media. Listen to your
0: media.
8: Take your country back.
0: Go to new dot new Progressive Podcast
8: the Progressive
0: Podcast Progressive Network.
8: This
0: newmediarevolution.org.